service of this faithful God. Has God been good to you? Has he been faithful? Let him know how much you love him right now. We ought to fill this house with worship and praise. God, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. It's easy at times because we're human to become disillusioned with who God is. In fact, if you read the story of Job, you find a whole bunch of people trying to figure out God and Job trying to question God. And finally God had enough and God started talking. Job, where were you when I flung the stars in the sky? Where were you when I spoke to the border of the sea and commanded it not to overflow its banks? Where were you when I orchestrated everything? In other words, Job, you don't have a clue who I am. You, don't, you can't even scratch the surface to my majesty. Can I tell you on your worst of, worst of days, God is still faithful. On your best of days, God is still faithful. He is a faithful God. Amen, amen, amen. Sweet presence of the Lord here. As you remain standing, let us turn to the book of Genesis chapter 5. We're going to continue our study today on the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated this evening. Last week I gave perhaps an introductory uh, of the fruit of the Spirit and its meaning in our life and its significance in our life, and tonight we're going to we're going to look at the first fruit of the spirit, which is love. Now, some people perhaps would get uncomfortable when a pastor preaches on relationships, and I'm not talking about just a spousal relationship, but just relationships with people. But that's where our Christianity is lived out. In our relationships with God, with family, friends, and others. If you just go live by yourself as a recluse, you never get to exercise relationships and the fruit of the Spirit because you're never around people. So how do we know if the fruit of the Spirit is being produced or manifest in our life? We gauge it by how we interact with people. Okay, I'm not known as a Christian solely on the basis of what I believe or even what I've experienced, but I'm known as a Christian by the fruit that I produce in my life. It's not solely about belief. There has to be behavior that confirms what I believe. And so this is where we see our relationships unfold and our fruit is, is manifested. Now, we're going to talk about love tonight. And I, I want to start by reading an excerpt from a book by David Ireland. He wrote a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. 
And he wrote to the child in his wife's womb, partly because he knew that he may, not, may never see the child. Because as his wife's pregnancy developed, he was dying of a crippling neurological disease. And so he wrote this book. It was a compilation of letters to this child that he would never meet. And this is what one of the letters said. It said, your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage and put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car, and drive off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the door, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and reverses the same routine. And when it's all over and finished with real warmth, she'll say, Honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. I never quite know how to answer that. His wife provides us with an example of real love. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 16 that God is love. So it's no surprise that the first aspect of the fruit that he wants us to grow in our life is love. Love is the, at the top of the list because it's the foundation for the rest of the fruit that God wants to, uh, to grow in us. In fact, many linguistic scholars translate Galatians 5.22 like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then they put a colon. Because the rest are byproducts of love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. In other words, the fruit is love, and love produces the rest. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And I want you to look at these verses because it is the, it is the fruit of the Spirit in action. Galatians 5.22 says love. 1 Corinthians 13 says love does not seek her own. Is not selfish or self-centered. Then it says joy. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rather rejoices in truth. Peace. Love is not easily provoked, but is serene and stable. Patience or long-suffering. Love suffers long, perseveres, is patient. Kindness or gentleness, love is merciful, thoughtful, and concerned. It envies not. Goodness, love is great, gracious, and generous. It is kind and good. Faithfulness, love thinks no evil but has faith in God and others. Gentleness or meekness, love is humble and gentle, does not vaunt itself. Self-control or temperance, love is disciplined and controlled, does not behave unbecomingly. 
So all throughout 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you will see the fruit of the Spirit exemplified throughout each verse pertaining to love. So if we're going to talk about love, it only makes sense that we define it from a biblical perspective. So I want to I want to show you two misconceptions that the world says about love and show you what God says about it. First, the world says love is a feeling. Love can be an emotion, but it's more than a feeling. Have you ever wondered, they say that English is the hardest language to learn. Uh, in the world, I wouldn't know. It's the only one I know. But, but I, I can believe them because here's what happens. You'll hear someone say he loves his dog, his wife, his car, baseball, pizza, and they just keep using the word love. But how, how can he love his dog, his car, baseball, Etc., etc. How can he just love all of it? Well, it's because we use the word love rather loosely, and there's so many variations of the word love. This can, this can prove challenging. But remember this the Bible was not originally written in English. It does not suffer the limitations of our language. So let me break down the words love. Four definitions in the Bible. There are four Greek words for love. The first is eros. The New Testament does not use the word eros, but it's where we get the word erotic. The Bible does teach that intimate love is a blessing from God. God designed it. Okay, That's the love between a husband and a wife. But eros is limited. Then there's the Greek word storge. Bible uses this word twice in the New Testament in the negative sense to describe evil people who are without natural affection. The Greek word is actually astorgos. It's the love that exists in a family between parents and children and among siblings. You got to stay with me just for a minute. It's different than eros love. And if you begin to blend eros and astorgos, it leads to perverse sins such as incest. This is what the Bible calls without natural affection. What exists between a husband and wife is eros. What exists between a family such as a parent and a child is astorgos. And if they get mixed up, it leads to unnatural affection. And this is what the Bible talks about in the days of Noah was happening. And in the days in which we live is happening. Why do you think children fight so much with each other? It's God's way of making sure they don't cross lines they're not supposed to cross. It's a natural barrier. Some people wish that their kids would never fight. And I'm not talking about throwing down and throwing hammers all the time, that kind of fight, okay? It can get out of balance. But it's just natural for 
siblings to have friction because God designed it like that so it maintains a storgos and never moves to eros. Okay? Because when the line is crossed, it becomes wrong in the sight of God. But even a storgos is limited. Then there is phile, where we derive the term philanthropy. It designates a friendship kind of love. And the New Testament translates it several times as brotherly love. This is the kind of love that develops between us and those that we have a natural affinity for. We don't have any personal personality conflict, conflict with. You know, there's just some people, they just get along with certain people. And that is philos, okay? It's, it's an a, a affection in a brotherly love kind of way, people you enjoy hanging out with. Sometimes... Philae, though, is limited. So here's the problem with most relationships. They are built on limited love. Eros, Storgos, Storgos and Philae are limited. When the body of, our, of someone's spouse gets older, Eros fades. When there's serious conflicts with a teenager in your home, a Storgos love falters. And when your friends are constantly insensitive to your deepest needs, filet, love, is fickle. So all three dimensions of love that I just talked about are limited in some form or another. Love does not, love does affect my feelings powerfully, but love is more than just a quiver in my liver. Some, some people think that that feeling inside is that oh, that's all there is to love. But God says that love is more than a feeling. Love is a choice, which it brings us to the fourth dimension of love, and that is agape love. This is the kind of love the Bible refers to the most. It has nothing to do with romance, has nothing to do with affection or sentimentality. It is not dependent on physical attractiveness, personality, or even a harmonious atmosphere. But agape is a decision to love. It's I make up my mind. We have to have agape love in our life. It is not a love that we produce. It's a love that God produces in us. It's a decision that I will love people. Our carnal man, we're quick to write people off. You burn me once, that's all the only chance that you get. Anybody know anybody like that? And such were some of you. Your carnal man does not want to love everybody. But it's the Holy Ghost that starts working in your life that says, you know what, I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to love that person. doesn't matter how they treat me. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. It's the Holy Ghost that prompts you to give to that person that's in need out of love. I tell my daughters, if I pass someone, if I have cash and they need cash on the side of the road, we give them money because it's not about what they do. It's always about what you do. The Bible says if it is within thy hand to do good, you do it. Doesn't matter. We don't, we don't, we're not going to sit here and figure out what they're going to do when they leave. 
I want to be motivated by compassion to do the right thing. So the world says that love is a feeling, but God says it's a choice. The second thing is the world says love is uncontrollable, but God says love is a matter of conduct. John outlived all the other apostles, and thus he had an incredible perspective on the church of the New Testament. John was around for 70 years of the church's history, so he got to see the church in action. And so after seeing the church's struggles and and triumphs, he placed love in a place of utmost importance. Let's read 1 John chapter 3. We're going to just skip through this. Let's start with verse 10. I'm going to be reading the New Living Translation, but follow along as he posted on the screen. It says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Verse 10, anyone who does not obey God's commands and does not love other Christians does not belong to God. I'm going to stop right there. Here's what I've noticed in the apostolic movement, that we're guilty of doing this. Whether we do it subconsciously, on purpose, it doesn't matter. I've been guilty of doing this before. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But we have a way of measuring our church against other churches. And we've adopted the term liberal or conservative just like in politics, liberal or conservative. And we have a way of gauging people's walk with God based upon where we stand. And I have, I, when I was an evangelist, I preached for whoever called. I, it didn't matter where they were left or whether they were right, it didn't affect where I stood. I just showed up to preach. I preached at churches where they didn't wear suits on the platform like I'm comfortable with. And I preached where they wore white shirts on the platform. I preached on both sides of the spectrum. And it would be easy for me to be labeled, well, he's a conservative or he's a Christian or he's a, a liberal. But I never faltered in where I stood. But where we mess up, is we can be vicious towards other people. I'm a firm believer that when we get to heaven, there's going to be people there that we never thought would make it. And then there's going to be people that aren't there that we thought would make it. Because we look at people through a limited lens. So if we're going to be children of God, we have to love other Christians. And let me go ahead and say this. There's going to be people that make it to heaven that don't go to a Pentecostal church. Because it's not about what church you go to. It's about what book you live by. And if you are baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're walking with God in righteousness and holiness as it pertains to this book, that's between you and God. Don't you realize that there's going to be people that have no access to a Pentecostal church throughout history, but they had an experience with God and they live for God to the best of their ability? 
So we can't, we can't hold people to a false standard. The only standard we need to be holding ourselves accountable to is the book. Amen. Verse 11, this is the message we have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Verse 14, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to eternal life. But a person who has no love is still dead. What is God? God is love. That's what Scripture says. So when you get the Holy Ghost, what is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is God. Then that literally means you get love in your heart. You don't know how to love, real love, if you don't have the Holy Ghost. Oh, there's emotions in your heart, but I'm talking about real love. The only way that's possible is through God. Verse 18, dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Chapter 4, verse 7, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love has been brought to full expression through us. Do you realize that you are the only God that some people will see? So what kind of God are you showing them? Are you showing them a critical God that is judgmental? Are you showing them a God that loves? Now listen, a lot of people have made a doctrine off of God is love. And that's, that's the only part of God that they want. I believe God is love. I preach God is love. But just as sure as he is a God of love, he is a God that will judge. The, the day of judgment is not yet. It will come. But right now, I've, there's, there's nobody there's nobody that can't walk in those doors and can't experience the power and the forgiveness of God in their life. God is loving them. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in him. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Verse 19, we love each other as a result of his loving us First, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You want to win people? Love them. I don't know many people that have come to God because they met somebody they never knew and they taught them a Bible study and they came to God. I'm not saying that's never happened, but the majority of people that come to God are loved to God. You win them to you, and in turn you'll win them to God because God is in you. You just love them. You just love them. Everybody has an invisible sign that says, love me. They just want to be loved. They just want to be encouraged. And you can be that person. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13 for a moment because the Chapter tells us what love is supposed to act like. Love 
is selflessness in nine distinct facets. Love is selfless. Sin is selfish. You get rid of sin, everything changes, and you become selfless. Love is patient. Patience means I take the time to wait for someone else to change, to recover, or to get motivated. Love is kind. Love is alive when it cares. It's dying when it forgets. It's dead when it ignores. Kindness means the ability to care for each other in the practical details of everyday life. You know, people are selfish. People are selfish. They're with you for a little while. And then you find out, the longer you go, you find out their true colors. I I read a greeting card that I thought exemplifies humanity. It said, if I had an ice cream cone, I'd give you half. If I had six candies, you'd get three. If I had two apples, one would be yours. If I win the lottery, I'll send you a postcard from Tahiti. Now, isn't that humanity? They're with you for a little while, but not the whole way. Human beings do not change their actions by first changing their feelings. But you change your feelings by changing your actions. Romans 5 and 5 says, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. One of the things that just blew my mind so much when I was evangelizing, I never, I never really went to anybody else's church when I was growing up. I always went to my home church. And that was just the people that I knew. And so it was scary stepping out to evangelize. You don't know anybody. But what blew my mind is how I'd go to a church, whether they ran 20 people or they ran 500 people. And I walk in and nobody knows me, but they love me. And I love them. How is that possible? The Holy Ghost. It's not possible in the flesh. But when God comes into your heart and he starts changing who you are on the inside and it manifests itself on the outside, why do you think we call each other brother or sister? There's a lot of people, I don't growing up, I didn't even know their name. It was brother. Or sister. Because that's what the Holy Ghost does on the inside. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says this, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, was going to try to stump Jesus, asked him a question. The Bible says, tempting him and saying, Master, Which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, I want you to choose. They knew. This is a a Pharisee. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the law. And they thought he was going to get one over on Jesus. And he said, which is the greatest? So Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, And with all thy mind, he said, this is the first and great commandment, but the second is equally important. In other words, you can't do one 
without doing the other. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you remember, I believe it was here, I gave the analogy of hanging a picture. Anybody remember that? You don't remember what I preached last week, huh? I'm joking. But if there's one thing I need the help of the Lord on more than anything, it's hanging pictures. Because the first thing when, I, when, I, when, I, when she brings home these pictures, I want to look at the back of them. Okay, how bad is this going to be? Is this a one hole? Is this two things? Am I going to have to get my tape measure and my level? Because if it's a one screw, I just tap, 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 find the, net, find the stud, put the screw in, hang it, feel like a champ. But if there's two of them, we're going to be here a while. We've got to measure the wall. We've got to find center. We've got to see the width of these things. I bought me a tape measure one time. Best $14 I ever spent. Can't find it. It was a tape measure that had these little deals that you measured the width of the picture of where they hung. Had a level on it. It was everything you needed in one tape measure. You put it in the wall. You press those tabs in the sheetrock while it was level. Boom. Done. You just put your screws where the things were. It was a great concept. I just lost the tape measure. So I'm the easiest part of hanging the picture is always the first screw. Anybody can do it. That's love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put the first nail. Boom. That second screw. If you don't get it right, I can't tell you if people took our pictures off the wall, they'd see one, one hole, another hole here, another hole here. That's always the hardest. You know why? Because if you don't get it just right, it's not balanced. It's not level. And I'll stand back and go, nope, got to redo it. First nail, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is equally as important because on those two screws, everything rests like a picture. All the laws, the entirety of this book. And if you don't have those two screws in place, love God and love people, then your life is not balanced. How do you know if you love God? You measure it by how you love people. They're linked together. Stand with me right now. Jesus was trying to tell this lawyer that you cannot have just one. You have to have, musicians, if you'll come, you have to have both. You cannot love God unless you love people. And you will not truly love people unless you first love God. So Jesus gives us a story. And he said there was a certain man that fell among thieves. 
He was left stripped and wounded and left for dead. And it gives us three types of people that went by. There was a priest or the ministry walked right by. There was a Levite or laity walked right by. And then there was a Samaritan who had no dealings with the Jews. It was the person least likely to stop and help. But there was a man who had compassion on him. And he picked him up. And he brought him and got him taken care of. And Jesus asked this question. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor? What does scripture say? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Anybody can love people you like. But let's talk about loving the people that hurt you. Let's talk about, about loving the people that you don't want to love. Let's talk about loving strangers. You got to be moved with compassion. How do we make this happen? It's by the Holy Ghost. It's by the Holy Ghost. You measure your love for God by how much you love. I wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for a couple of people. They didn't know my mom. They didn't know that little girl that was only seven, eight years old. They didn't know really anything. Alcoholic father. But every Saturday, they'd go knock on that door. Not knowing what she would ever be. But they were motivated by love for that family. You don't know what your love will do for somebody. You don't know what they'll be. You don't know what path their life will take. But they'll never forget. They'll never forget the love that they feel from your heart. Amen. I want us to come gather around this altar in closing.